Now, the idea of an awakening isn't always a positive one. I mean, the reason we don't always like to think about an awakening is because it signals this idea of getting roused out, out of a very comfortable place, doesn't it? I mean, that's what we kind of think of. I mean, that's part of the issue with an awakening. I mean, in one, in one breath, we talk about sweet dreams. In the next breath, we talk about a rude awakening. If you don't believe me, just look at a few of these pictures. They'll kind of help you to understand. You ever, felt, <laughs> you ever feel this way when you get up in the morning? Or, or how about this? How about you? Anybody got animals that do that to you? Anybody? Yeah. How, or this way? Yeah. Or this? This is my favorite coming up. Yeah, yeah. You know, these are what I would refer to as kind of rude awakenings. You know, having an awakening, awakening like this doesn't bring a lot of joy at the moment, does it? I mean, if you've got kids that are playing their band instruments or jumping on your face, you know, it's just it's not going to be a very good time when you're getting up. Hopefully this series isn't going to feel like that, but instead it will be a call for us to awaken our senses, to awaken the parts of our lives that are kind of off-focus, that are off path off track because if we're not awakened we will miss out on all that God has for us in our life see if you can relate to this a friend of mine was was flying home he went through he went through the baggage security got back to the gate and when he got back there he found out that he had an hour and a half layover so he thought this is awesome I am extremely tired I'm just gonna find a place to take a nap I can sleep, you know, for an hour or so. When the announcement comes, I'll get up, get on the gate, and I'll be able to get home to my family. So he got behind some chairs, found a place to lay down on the floor, got a book out of his backpack, put it under his head, and went to sleep. Two hours later, he wakes up, and he's missed his flight, and he's missed his chance and his opportunity to be with those he loved. Now, I think that's... That's where a lot of us find ourselves in life a lot of times. If we're not careful, we miss out on an opportunity to connect with the one we say we love, the one we need to be doing life with. That's why we want to engage in an experience like this series for the next six weeks, to keep us from getting comfortable in our life, to keep us from getting complacent. And to keep us from reaching over and hitting the snooze button of life. So with that said, there'll be five awakenings after today that we're going to spend some time on. And as we do, I believe that, that you will discover your story somewhere, either in one of these or possibly all of them. The first awakening that we'll look at next week is the awakening to longing, where we'll, we are saying somehow... Deep down inside, I just know there's got to be more. You ever felt that way? There's just got to be more to life than what I sense and what I see. In week three, we're going to look at the awakening to regret, where we say, man, I wish I could just start over. Anybody ever wanted to just start over? If I think we all have at some point. Then we're going to talk about an awakening to need. Actually, Chad's going to be preaching that week. I'm excited about that, but he'll be preaching on the awakening to need, where hopefully we can honestly say, I just can't do this on my own. I need some help. Then we'll look at the awakening to love, where we say, God really does love me after all. And then finally, the awakening to life, 
where hopefully we're able to say this is what life was meant to look like. I mean, this is what life was really meant to be. This is really living. And so this morning, I want, I want to introduce all of us to this idea of an awakening to help us to see that at times what we need is just a wake-up call. Pray with me as we begin. Lord, I just thank you for this time. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for all that you're doing. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to come and maybe get kicked in the pants a little. To get woken up to what you have for us. Because, God, you don't want us to miss out on life. In fact, you said you came to give life and to give it more abundantly. And yet so many of us are just missing that. Because we're sleeping right through it. So, Father, this morning, as we begin to prepare our hearts and minds for what these next five weeks will unfold for us, God, may your spirit bring conviction and may your spirit speak to our hearts. And, God, may we be brought closer to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. A few, uh, few weeks ago, we were able to be down with our, with our kids down at uh, the Outer Banks, and uh, uh, it was really windy while we were there, so the waves were pretty choppy and pretty, pretty high. And so there wasn't a lot of surfing going on. But a couple years before that, we were down in this area called Topsail. Some of you know where that's at. Uh, I actually think I know where it's at. I mean, I was there. But, uh, uh, but it was a, one of those times where there's a lot of people out there. And one of the things I loved to watch was these guys who were body surfing, you know, on the boogie boards, and they would go out, they would kind of body surf, they really weren't real surfers, but they just were trying to learn how to do all this stuff. Well, I heard about a guy who was at Virginia Beach, and that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to learn how to body surf. He wanted to learn how to use that boogie board that he had or whatever it was. And so he goes out, and he practices, and he practices. And after a while, he really began to get the hang of it. And, man, it was a blast. He was just having a blast as he was riding one wave after another. And before he realized it, it had been about two hours that had gone by. So he decided he better check in with his family and to see what was happening, to see what was going on, to see if it was time to go maybe get ready and go out to eat. So he comes back up on the beach, and he begins to look around, and he can't find his family anywhere. He just can't see, he doesn't know where they're at. He doesn't find them. He can't see them. He thinks, well, maybe they went to the house we're staying. But he begins to look. He can't find the house. He doesn't know where it is. He goes, now, wait a minute. How can the house just disappear? Then all of a sudden, it hit him. And he realized that the waves were coming in at an angle. And because he was so wrapped up in the waves and what he was doing, after two hours, he literally was a quarter mile down the beach. He finally said to himself, man, I have no clue where I'm at. Now, as I read that story, here's what hit me. That's exactly what happens in our lives, isn't it? I mean, we tend to drift and we don't even realize we're drifting. We don't necessarily mean to, but we're just riding the waves of life. Wherever they take us. The waves of school or, or raising the kids or the bettering of our careers. And even though we may not mean to be taken away and to drift down, all of a sudden, man, we look up and we say, I don't know where I'm at. I don't know where I'm going. 
And at that moment, you realize you're not where you thought you would be. And the worst part is this. Now there's distance between you and God. Isn't it amazing how often this can happen in our lives? That we get so wrapped up in riding the waves of whatever it is we're involved in. When, and all of a sudden we stop and we realize that distance between us and God has increased. And we wonder why we don't have that relationship that we used to have. I've told you this before, but I, re- I remember back uh, the first car I had when Lucy and I were dating was a, a Monte Carlo. It was a 1978 Monte Carlo. Bought it new. Paid 4500 bucks for it. I was going to school, but I was working. had a youth ministry, and so I was able to pay for it. And um, it had a, a, a bench seat in it. Now, when you're dating, bench seats are great because you know what that means. The wife or the, the person you're dating sits right next to you, you know. Now, I want you to know over time that distance between Lucy and I has got to where now she's by the door. Yeah, now part of that, I mean, realistically, part of that is, you know, you got cars now that they have a console in the middle. It makes it hard for them to sit on the gear shift, you know, but uh, so it's a little more difficult. But she's over there. Now, let me ask you, who moved? I didn't move. I can say this because she's gone. She's not going to hear this. So don't tell her, Carol. (laughs) Don't tell her. But see, the problem is that's where we find ourselves in our relationship with God, in our relationship with Christ. All of a sudden, we stop and we realize we're not next to him anymore. And what you've got to understand is he hasn't moved. If there's distance, it's because you've moved, not him. He's still there. That's why we need to be able to say, with the psalmist in Psalm 57, awake my soul. <laughs> awake my soul. Augustine, theologian from the 3rd and 4th century, put it this way. Our souls are restless until they find their rest in God. So let me ask you. What wave has carried you further down the beach? What wave has carried you further away from where you want or where you were meant to be? Now, I ask that for this reason, because in order to get where God wants us to be, it's important to know where you are at this moment in your life. Let me give you some examples, real-life examples. Maybe, maybe you can see yourself or find yourself in one of these. Greg grew up in church, but when his family moved, when he was in middle school, they never really connected with any other church. So he was working so hard at trying to fit in that he got caught up in sports and in music and and in girls and in all the stuff of high school and then into college. So that later in life, after he graduated and after he was married, after he had kids, he found himself so far up the beach that he goes, I'm not even sure if God is even in sight anymore. Do you see yourself there? Or how about Erin? She had parents who divorced when she was about eight years old, and for her, it was like her whole world just, man, it just blew apart. She loved and adored her dad, but, but he left. So in her mind, 
She could never figure out why she wasn't good enough for her dad. And so all that pain turned to anger, and it made her a very, very bitter person. Today, inside of Aaron, where there used to be faith, it's just a very hard place. Or maybe you were abused or neglected or hurt really bad in your life. Maybe you prayed for help or healing, but you're not sure your prayers are even being heard, that they're even getting past the ceiling. Or maybe you feel that the really bad things that you've done has caused God to just be disgusted with you. You see, there are a million reasons why we ride the waves that lead us down the beach, aren't there? One way or another, the truth is, as Isaiah wrote, man, we are all like sheep, aren't we? We talked about this in our last series. We're all like sheep. We've gone astray. Each of us has decided to just go our own way. I mean, that's the reality. And yet, even though that's true, I still believe that inside of all of us, I mean, even though you see yourself in some of those, some of those pictures, some of those people's lives, even though that may be a reality for you, I still believe that inside of all of us is that inner longing to reconnect with the one who made us and to find our way back to the best version of us. The one he created us to be. That longing is what we want to tap into over the next six weeks. To get honest with ourselves. To be honest about our own drifting. And to be honest with our God. Who lovingly waits for us. Who looks for us. Who longs for us to have that spiritual awakening. That life awakening. Now. Let me tell you. This is. Great news if you've been away from God and asleep for a long time. But it's also great news if you've just been kind of lulled into dozing off more than you're awake. In other words, let me, let me put it this way. You may be thinking, you know what, I, I, I'm pretty sure that I'm in the fold. You know, I, I'm pretty sure I'm a Christian. I go to church, you know, I, I sometimes get connected in a life group, you know, I, I, I'll serve sometimes. You know, I, I think I'm in the fold. I think I'm a disciple. I mean, I'm trying to love God. I'm trying to love people. I'm trying to love the world. You see, sometimes we can be, as Christians, man, we can be the most vulnerable because there's an occupational hazard with being a Christian. And it's this. We tend to convince ourselves that doing churchy stuff, that just being in proximity to Jesus means that we're on board with him. And it means that we're fully awake in him. But I can tell you, that just isn't true. It's not true and hasn't been true in my life, and it is not true in your life. And let me tell you, it definitely wasn't true in the Bible. You will not see that in the Bible. In fact... There's a great passage in the New Testament where Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. There's several, you can look at it in, in, in several accounts throughout the Gospels. But the one I want to look at is just in Matthew chapter 26. And Jesus has just spent a very stressful dinner with his disciples. It, it wasn't intended to be stressful, but it was. I mean, it was the Passover feast. It was going to be his last Passover, and we've talked about this. I believe in Jesus' mind, 
he was hoping that maybe finally they would get the connection. As the Passover that they're celebrating symbolized when the death angel passed over and saved the people of Israel. Remember the blood of the lamb was spilled and the blood was put on the doorpost and the death angel crossed and passed all those who had the blood of the lamb. And I think Jesus was hoping, will they catch it this time? Will they understand the significance of what I'm about to do as I become their Passover lamb? And yet it was stressful. I mean, there wasn't a servant guy there to wash the disciples' feet, and and they weren't going to do it. So Jesus does it. One of the guys, he says, was going to betray him that night. And so finally, when the meal is over, they, they head out to the garden because Jesus just needed to pray. He just needed to be with his father. So as they go, he says, are you guys with me, man? Are you guys with me? I've got to go pray to the Father about what's about to happen to me. Are you guys with me? And so they go to the place called the Garden of Gethsemane. And in Matthew, again, in 26, starting verse 36, this is what we read. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed And he told him, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. And then he said these words, stay here and watch with me. And when he comes back, verse 40 says, then he returned to the disciples and he found them what? He found them asleep. He had just asked them, I just want you to, to sit here, just watch and pray. And instead, they, they go to sleep. Look at what the rest of verse 40 and verse 41 says. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Wow. Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Now here's something interesting. I was reading reading this this morning. In this passage, when I find it, here's what I here's what I thought was interesting in this passage in in, um, in, in uh, verse thirty one. In verse thirty, it says, "So they sang a hymn and then went to the Mount of Olives." This was after the dinner. So the dinner ends. They sing a hymn. They go out to the to the, the Mount of Olives. Now look at this in verse thirty one. On the way, Jesus tells them tonight. All of you will desert me. Wow. <laughs> I mean, how would you like to hear that as a disciple? How would you like to hear the fact that, okay, guys, all of you, not, not just a few of you, all of you are going to desert me. I mean, that kind of sets the tone, doesn't it, for the rest of the evening? All of you are going to desert me. And see, the interesting thing is Peter, who we know was uh, not one to, to keep his mouth quiet, Jumps out and says, well, wait a minute, I'm not going to desert you. I would never deny you. I'll never leave you. And Jesus says, look, before this evening is through, you just watch. You'll deny me three times before the rooster even crows. So I think it was interesting that he points to, to Peter here at this moment when he says to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? See, it's coming true, he's saying. I love how the Message Bible puts it. 
says, can't you stick it out with me a single hour? Stay alert, be in prayer so you don't wander into temptation without even knowing you're in danger. That's where we get ourselves, isn't it? We wander in temptation without even knowing there's danger ahead. There is a part of you that is eager, ready for anything in God. I think that, that describes a lot of us. There is that part of us that's eager, that's ready for God, but I love this. But there's another part that's as lazy as an old dog sleeping by the fire. That probably describes most of us even better, doesn't it? Here's the thing. That described the disciples who were with Jesus 24-7. And that describes us as well. You see, just being in proximity to Jesus doesn't mean that everything's going to be great and you're going to have an awesome relationship. Just doing churchy stuff, just going to church and doing those kinds of things doesn't mean you're going to have that great relationship with Jesus. There comes a point in time when there has to be an awakening. Now, Jesus goes away two more times, and each time he comes back, and he finds them sleeping. Then in verses 45 and 46, look what the message Bible says. I love this. It says, when he came back the next time, he said, are you going to sleep on and make a night of it? My time is up. The Son of Man is about to be handed over to the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's get going. My betrayer is here. I believe that that is what God's Spirit is wanting to say or is saying to each and every one of us right now. I believe the Spirit of God wants to say, look, wake up, man. Wake up. Get up. Let's get going. There's too much kingdom stuff, man. There's too much kingdom work to be done. There's too many people that need to be reached for us just to sleep our life away. Why are we, why we are being carried away by the waves of whatever it is we think is so important in our life. You see, regardless of how close you think you are to Jesus, just like the disciples, we all have the potential to fall asleep. That's why we need an awakening. But there's another picture that's found in, and it's found in Acts 2, after the resurrection. It's a picture of an awakening. And so in Acts 2, as, as the Spirit falls upon the disciples and as Peter begins to preach to a lot of the same people, a lot of the same crowd, who literally just uh, 50 to 60 days earlier had yelled out, crucify him, crucify him. So a lot of the same people were still in Jerusalem celebrating Pentecost. And Peter preaches and says, look, you guys killed, man. You crucified, you murdered the very Son of God. But God raised him from the dead. And when Peter was finished and the people heard this, they were moved. They were motivated. They had an awakening. And they basically cried out, Man, what have we done? And more importantly, what can we do to get right with God? And so Peter says in Acts 2.38, Peter replied, each of you must repent or just turn away from your sin. Do that 180. Do that about face. Leave that life of sin and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know what the cool thing was? This awakening 
caused more than 3,000 people, maybe up to 5,000, maybe even more than that, to wake up and to find a relationship in Jesus Christ. And as we know down in verse 42, the church began and the church exploded as God added daily those who were being saved. You see, we're no different than those who hung around with Jesus. They drifted away and so do we. But the good news is this. We don't have to stay at that place we find ourselves. Every one of us can reconnect with God like those in Acts 2. There's a great passage in the Old Testament that's found in Jeremiah chapter 29. Look at what verse 12 says and 13. It says, then you will call my name. You will come to me and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will search for me, and when you search for me with all your heart, I love that part, when you search for me with all your heart, you will find me. Then look at this, I will let you find me, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. You know what, you know what hit me when I was reading that again? It reminded me of being with my grandkids, especially the ones out in Oklahoma, because Micah and Hattie and Elle, are more, they were more at that age just a, a year or two ago when we were out there, that they loved playing hide-and-seek. So they, they wanted to play hide-and-seek, and they wanted me to go hide, and they were going to find me. But you know what you do as a grandpa, you want them to find you, don't you? You want them to be able to come to you and to find you, so you hide, but you hide where they can find you. And that's what hit me when I read this. God's not hiding from us to the point that we don't know where he's at or can't get to him. He says, I will let you find me when you search for me with all your heart. Let me ask you, what's holding you captive today? Because he said, I will bring you back from your captivity. So what's holding you captive today? What is it that's holding you captive? What has such a hold on your life that is taking you further away from God? What is it in your life? Have you got so wrapped up in, in trying to build a career that, that you've just not only forsaken God, but you've forsaken your family? I mean, what's holding you captive? Man, have you gotten into pornography on the computer to the point that it literally is destroying your relationship with God as well as your relationship with your wife? I mean, what's holding you captive today that's keeping you and taking you further away from God? I love what James 4, chapter 7, I mean, verses 7 and 8 says. It says, so give yourself completely to God. Stand against the devil, and the devil will run from you. You see, you can't use that excuse. Oh, man, <laughs> the devil just made me do it, and I just, I just, I, you know, I just can't get, give him. I, he, he's just going to take me out every time. No, because the Bible promises that he will run from you. He will run from you. And the devil will run from you. Come near to God and God will come near to you. You sinners, clean sin out of your lives. You who are trying to follow God and the world at the same time. Make your thinking pure. I love these words from novelist Anne Lamont. She says, <laughs> this is good. She says, if, if we stay where we are, where we're stuck, where we're comfortable and safe, we die there. We become like mushrooms living in the dark with poop up to our chins. If you want to know only what you already know, you're dying. 
If you want to feel only what you already feel, you're dying. If you want to be only what you already are, you're dying. Listen, when nothing new can get in, you may think you're stable, but you're dying. When you're not drawing close to God so he can grow, grow close to you, you're not just maintaining, you're, you're dying. You see, the problem is, again, we get comfortable. The problem is we, we get complacent, and the problem is we become numb, numb to God, numb to life. And we tell ourselves that we have everything under control. I think it's a lot like what Paul was dealing with with the church in Ephesus. Over in chapter 4, starting in verse 17 and verse 18, this is what he says. He says, And so I insist, and God backs me up on this, that there be no going along with the crowd. <laughs> Look at this. The empty-headed, mindless crowd. They refused for so long to deal with God that they lost touch, not only with God, but with reality itself. And then he says these words in chapter 5, starting in verse 14. He says, wake up from your sleep and rise from death. And then Christ will shine on you. Act like people with good sense and, and not like fools. These are evil times. So make every minute count. You want to know why this series is so important to us right now? It's important because these are evil times. If you think the first century was evil times, these are evil times. And we need to make the most of every opportunity that we get. We need to make the most of every minute we have on this planet for God's kingdom work. You see, what I see here basically is this. Paul is giving them and us a swift kick in the pants. He's giving us a reality check. And sometimes that's exactly what we need, isn't it? In order to wake up. Now, before we close today, let me remind you of a few things. I need to get through these very quickly. First of all, God's not surprised with your life. He's not surprised. He knows and understands exactly where you're at. Nothing you've done, nothing you do, not, nothing you are is, is ever going to surprise God. Now, you may not realize how far you've drifted, but God does. And so when we find ourselves in a stagnant place, when we find ourselves stuck, and when we find ourselves being lazy, distracted, out of focus, never forget, man, God understands, and he will meet us right where we are. Here's the cool thing. God doesn't, God doesn't have this one-size-fits-all approach to people. You go by a, like when I'm looking for a hat, to wear it uh, when I'm playing golf. A lot of the hats anymore are a one-size-fits-all. You, know, you just kind of put it on, it stretches, and, psh, and you're good to go. God's not like that. God isn't a one-size-all-fits kind of guy, kind of God. He's not looking for an excuse to take you out either. He's not looking for an excuse to put you on some kind of a guilt trip where you take yourself out. What he's looking for is a relationship with you. You see, your awakening starts with the realization that he's wanting and longing to have a personal, intimate relationship with you because, get this, he loves you that much. He just loves you that much. So nothing you do is ever going to surprise God. But second of all, 
our drifting, our dozing, our sleeping, it doesn't have to define us. It doesn't have to define who you are. In other words, our regrets, our failed dreams, our hurts, our failed relationships, and the list can go on and on. Those things don't have to define us. Instead, I'm encouraging you to risk believing that the most important thing about you is not any of those things. They don't ultimately define you because that's not who you really are. Who you really are, get this, is a child of God. That's who we really are. We are children of God, and you were meant to wake up. You were meant to come alive in him and experience life from his perspective, not the world's. Thirdly, God isn't sleeping. This is the one I love. <laughs> we may be sleeping, but get this. God isn't sleeping. He is ready and eager to meet us in whatever kind of awakening we need. In Psalm 121, verses 1 to 4, look what it, it says in the message. It says, I look up to the mountains. Does my strength come from mountains? No, my strength comes from God, who made heaven and earth and mountains. He won't let you stumble. Your guardian God, get this, your guardian God won't fall asleep. Not in your life. Israel's guardian, guardian will never doze or sleep. God doesn't get tired. God's not going to drift off. He doesn't get out of focus. God doesn't need an awakening, but you and I do. So let's reflect and close. So let me challenge you then as we close with just a few things. The first is this. My challenge to you is this, to be here every weekend. I'm just going to challenge you to be here every weekend, to commit for the next Five weeks after this, to be here every weekend as much as you can. I know some of you have to travel. I know your jobs take you out of town. But do your best to be here every weekend. Because I really believe it will change your life if you do. So be here every weekend. Second of all, invite someone to join you on this journey. We have invite cards that will be passed out to you at the end of the service. So ushers, be ready. They're over there in this corner in a basket. If you'll get those invite cards, just be ready to pass those out because we want to give you an opportunity to invite people to come and, and join you. So invite a friend, invite family members, invite a co-worker, connect with somebody in your neighborhood or a school, but don't come alone. Thirdly, I want to challenge you to cut through all the crud, to cut through all the falseness, the good intentions, the religious hype, and just to put all that aside and just realize that God may be calling you to an awakening. He may be calling you to an awakening. He may be trying to get your attention to wake you up. He may be saying, if you will draw near to me, I will draw near to you. And I will change your life forever. Everything about your life. I'll give you meaning. I'll give you purpose. Your joy will be restored. Your satisfaction and your eternity will be in my hands, not yours. And here's the thing. You've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Nothing to lose and everything to gain. So, that's my challenge for you. Give us those next five weeks. Man, invite somebody to come. And then just put everything else aside and just begin to get honest with God and where you're at. Because maybe, just maybe, he wants to do an awakening in your heart today. Worship team is going to come.
And as they do, we just want to reflect for a moment. But as we reflect, just begin to pray. God, I don't know what you have for me over these next five weeks, but God, I just want to be honest with you today. I'm open. I'm open. So God, speak to me today and begin to, begin to light those fires within me and help me to see. Let's reflect. Let's just pray for a moment, and then we're going to go into a time of the Lord's Supper. Let's, let's just reflect.